So welcome along to this Easter message. It's not a recap as such because we've been following through each of the recaps. And so this is a, an extended and extra and additional little message or, or recap just because we've come to the point of Easter. And so it would be remiss of me to at least not provide some input and provide a, a message to you to try and connect what we've been reading through already in these last weeks into the story of Easter because we can't just ignore what goes on around us and we can't just ignore the celebration and, and the festival that Easter is and all that it means for us in the Bible. If we're going to read the Bible as a whole, of course, the message of Easter, which is central to that, and the story of Jesus, which is central to that, needs to be talked about and needs to be reflected upon. And really, you will have heard it say that the whole of the Old Testament points towards Jesus and Jesus is the, is the climax of that. And of course, he is because he has the fulfillment of all that the people of Israel had hoped for and the term Messiah that is used about him and uh, in regards to him is very much a Jewish phrase and something that the Jews, the Israelites, incorporated and, and looked for and still long for to this day. And that's the fundamental difference, one of the fundamental differences between the Jewish faith and the Christian faith is that we believe this Messiah has come in the person of Jesus and we believe the New Testament as it is written all that we have in the Old Testament is the same as what the Jewish Bible would have, but of course then they would separate uh, at that point in the New Testament because they don't believe Jesus is the Messiah. They believe he might have been a good man and a good teacher and maybe a good rabbi, but ultimately they don't believe he was the Messiah. And as we read in the New Testament, there were other men who arose around this time of Jesus and before who claimed to be Messiahs, who whose efforts, whose ideas were thwarted and who were eventually killed and so to them this idea of messiah and of people coming saying they're messiah isn't a new thing but we believe that because of jesus death and resurrection that is a new thing i don't know of anybody rising from the dead maybe you do but that's where we would differ and that's where those faiths differ but we do use the old testament to inform us we have to read the Old Testament to tell us about who Jesus is and about what that stands for and all the, the Jewishness. If we lost it all, the Gospels wouldn't mean a fraction of what they do because a lot of them are written to Jews. A lot of them are written to people who are steeped in Jewish culture and who are steeped in the, the story of Israel. And so we have to reflect and we have to think our way through the Old Testament to try and put ourselves into their shoes to see what they were longing for, to see who they were waiting for, and to, to try and get into this idea that when we read through the Old Testament and when we finally hit the New Testament, we'll be excited about it and we'll be longing for this Messiah, this person to be revealed. And that's where the whole story of Jesus takes on a whole new level, a whole new understanding, a whole new idea of who and what he is in this easter message we're not looking at a specific week but we're really looking back over the story so far the old testament points to christ but we read the old testament for what it is as we go through it we don't necessarily jump ever so quickly and try and fit jesus into every aspect but we try to understand the story and embed ourselves in that story so as i've said we understand it more and we'll understand that longing for the Messiah and the longing of the people to have God answer them. Which is the story that we've seen covered time and time again so far where God comes and reveals himself to his people, his chosen people, the people of Israel. When he comes and leads them and they rebel and go and do their own thing and God 
says, well, if you're going to obey me, then these are the results. These, these are the blessings. If you're going to disobey me, these are the curses. And we'd looked over that and read through that. And so we find that story just repeats time and time again. I've written a book about that. Remember how it goes about this cycle that there is within the Old Testament and the cycle there is within our own lives. And Jesus is the ultimate answer to that and the ultimate one who comes to break that cycle and create a new event and create a new way and path for us. But this we must remember is a story of Israel. It's a people that God had chosen, it's a people that he had led. We've read previously about the covenant that he made with Abraham as he was then, one of the forefathers of this and other religions. He had made this covenant with Abraham to go and make him into a, a nation, a vast, vast nation. In Genesis 15, he give, makes this covenant with him, but then tells him of, of what is going to come. In verse 12 of chapter 15, it says, As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abraham, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on that nation that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And so God reveals to Abraham what will come and what will happen this people he already knows the story that is going to unfold in front of him we'll know of the story of Moses we've read and Moses who leads them out of that slavery that was prophesied those 400 years who leads them out of the oppression of Pharaoh and the Egyptians who leads them and frees them from this slavery under the Passover and there's the element of the Passover lamb a term that will be familiar to us, especially around the time of Easter, whenever we hear of this Passover lamb, the lamb that brought the people of Israel out of their slavery into freedom. And then it goes on in, into Joshua, and we've read as as he leads the people then into the promised land, this land flowing with milk and honey, this land that God had chosen for his people but of course we know from the story and from reading those it doesn't turn out and from the promises that we've read about Abram it doesn't turn out in the way it should be. But what I wanted to do in this Easter message is to, to highlight some of those aspects, to highlight some of the, the terms that we've read about to make us think in a new way so that when we hear some of these terms in the Easter story, which you'll hear, which maybe you'll be read or you'll read for yourselves in your Bible, you'll think of them in a new way and it'll deepen the understanding you have of them. Terms such as the, the priests that will be, the Sanhedrin, uh, and the, the way in which the the laws and the courts of the people of Israel worked. That Passover lamb or the sacrificial lamb, which is used many times about Jesus as he is called that Passover lamb which frees us, We'll also hear about atonement in many senses and we read in Leviticus 16 about the day of atonement that Moses uh, was given from the Lord and the ways in which this day of atonement freed the people and, and forgave the people. In Leviticus 16 verse 29 it says, And it shall be a statute to you forever that in the seventh month, in the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves and shall do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For in this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you and you shall afflict yourselves. It is a statute forever. 
the priest who is anointed and consecrated as priest in his father's place shall make atonement wearing the holy linen garments. And so it goes on. You can look back over that chapter and other places in Leviticus where it speaks of this atonement of the people and the cleansing of the nation from their sins. And that is carried out by a priest. And that image will be familiar to you through Easter and hopefully will be familiar to you and and draw a new understanding of what Jesus is and what his sacrifice means in terms of individuals and nations and our creation of which we're a part. But what I want to do as well, just for the remaining part of this, is we have to read from the New Testament, really. We can't not coming up to Easter. There's no point in reading all these parts of the Old Testament just to think about them because the Easter story is the Easter story. I'm not going to read the Easter story per se because I hope that you'll either read that for yourself or it'll be read to you in various church services you go to on Monday, Thursday or Good Friday or on Holy Saturday or or Easter Sunday itself. Take the time to read through those passages, take the time to read through the Gospels and reflect upon them, especially over what we've read. But I'm going to read some passages, uh, some chapters from Hebrews and then Ephesians to help us tie together this idea of what was told and talked about and set out in the Old Testament that is fulfilled and put into place and put into its proper place in the New Testament because that ultimately is what the Old Testament is. We don't just abandon it because Jesus has come. We don't just throw it out because it's of no use. I've made the parallel before. It's like the first I don't know, 10 series of a box set. You, you have to watch those to understand the the fullness of the characters, to understand the depth of the characters and what they've been through and who they are. You might get into the last series and understand who this Jesus is in the New Testament, but you'll have missed the first 10 series of the Old Testament as they look forward to him and talk about him and look to him so that when he appears, it will be something amazing. And you'll understand that because you've gone through the whole series. So that's what we're going to do, but I'm going to read some passages from Hebrews and then Ephesians to allow you to reflect on that. They can be quite complicated. They can require you to read around them as well, so please take the time to do that. So I'm going to start in Hebrews chapter 2 verses 14 to 18. And I'm going to put my glasses because I can't see the small print. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every aspect, ancestors, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered while tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And so there's a couple of words that will be familiar with slavery. Abraham, high priest, service of God, propitiation. Um, those are all terms that we will have seen over the last 12 weeks. And in chapter 3, verse seven nineteen, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore I was provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, 
that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for forty years? Was it not in those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Then in chapter 4 of Hebrews it talks a little bit about Joshua, who we've started to see in, in, week, uh, in week 11, and then also in week 12 we've, we're focusing on him. And then in verse 14 of chapter 4, we read, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. And there's maybe a little modern um, illustration, a little modern description of what a priest in the Old Testament does. That priest can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weaknesses. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honour for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, for you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And so there again, there's lots of terms, lots of words that we'll recognise. Lots of things about priests and offering on behalf of sins, about those who are able to sympathise and those who are not. And then what that sacrifice, what that high priest Jesus can truly do. And then I'm just going to read from one of my favourite passages in Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore remember at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, 
having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place of God by the Spirit. So there you end those few readings, and hopefully as you've heard through those, uh, and as you've listened to those, and maybe as you hear other parts this Easter, hopefully you'll get a new insight into what that sacrifice means, into what that cross means, and then celebrate the resurrection and us being made into one within Christ and through Christ. That is our Easter message and we'll continue in these coming weeks through the Old Testament looking forward to that time when we stand with those people and wait for that Messiah to be revealed, wait for that resurrection power to be transposed on us. But of course we can have it now and that is the the promise to us and that is the joy for us that we can have that now. So we don't need to wait until we reach the New Testament, we don't need to wait until we get to a certain level of understanding. It is for us. God is for us and has given his son for us so that we might be adopted into this whole new realm that is being made, this whole new kingdom that is being reclaimed in this creation of which we are a part. And so grace and peace to you this Easter and may you truly celebrate the resurrection life. The tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. He the promised Messiah.